Welcome, welcome. This is episode number 73 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We're dropping new episodes every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on Stitcher Radio and on iTunes, where we bring you the latest in internet marketing every week. Trends, I don't know, news events. Sift through the all the crap yeah. to bring you the what you should really be paying attention to. We take the time every week to go through all the terrible blogs, oh my gosh, uh, so many Twitter feeds, all that crap, email lists, all of that stuff. We filter it all out we and laugh. we bring you the real real. We yeah. it yeah. It's actually become sad at this point. I mean, episode number 73, so it's <laughs> been a while. We've We've seen a lot of crap out there. All right, and we bring you the latest also while we're drinking. And after we do some prancer size. <laughs> I, I don't do that. So I don't what, partake in that. I am actually doing some Glen Fittage 15 double neat today. Actually, it was probably a little bit more than a double. How about yourself? So triple, quadruple, quintuple? Is that where it know. goes? I don't yeah. know. I drank enough where I, I probably couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my trusty go-to Moscow Mule okay. as most episodes. And if you haven't heard the recipe multiple times, lime juice, goslings, ginger beer, most important ingredient. Well, good vodka as well. Yes. Not me- all vodkas are created. Measurements well. aren't required in this drink. <laughs> the way that I make it just squirts and pours. <laughs> Give it a little bit of a shake and stir and you're there. 904-270-9603. If you're sick of hearing me say that I drink a Moscow Mule every episode, hit me up with a voicemail or text of what you think I should drink on next week's episode and I'll do it. Just don't make it a sex on the beach or something like that. <laughs> Although I, I probably will my do it. My Because I stay to my word. <laughs> True to my word, I'll do it if someone does that. Okay. But I hope not. Well, let's go ahead and get started. So for this week, I would say a diverse group of topics. We're going to kick it off with Facebook. Is it the end-all be-all for small to medium-sized businesses? Are you thinking about the big data picture? Ooh, this is a good one. We're going to try not to get into the weeds too much, but I think it is worth having a conversation on data and online marketing. How do we make sense of all this crazy stuff? Next, we're going to talk about mind-blowing titles and credibility. That's what Rob wrote. Headline crafting, does that make a difference in people actually engaging with your content? Some interesting commerce news this week, some blasts from the past from Yahoo, and also some rumblings from the Amazon world. And wrapping it up, it would not be an episode if we didn't check in with our favorite people at Google. What's going Mm -hmm. on at Mountain View? But kicking things off, Facebook, should I even care about this anymore? I mean, I don't have an account anymore, but why should I care, Rob, as an online marketer? Well, damn it, because I was going to rely on your insight <laughs> as the only person on the show who ever had a Facebook okay. account to begin with. Okay, I can go through my okay. memory banks. Okay, and I mean, I can speak to my experiences in witnessing other people use Facebook as a creep over their shoulder while they use it (laughs) uh, on their phones, things like that. This is an article on Marketing Land. Title is Before Millennials Go Shopping, They Turn to Facebook. The premise is a company called Go Digital ran a survey of a bunch of people aged 18 to 29 years old and asked them, which of the following social media channels do you find most useful to researching products slash services before visiting a local or small business? And when I say of the following, I mean 
the major ones that everyone's aware of. Facebook won this by 62%, followed by Pinterest at 12%, Twitter at 11 Instagram at 9 and then you don't matter anymore at 6%. I mean, basically none of them mattered. I mean, right. Facebook had 62%. The highest after that was 12 Facebook, you know, so I wanted to talk a little bit about is this, does this match your experience, okay. number one, because it does match the experience I've witnessed from other people. And then maybe a little bit about why this is. Mm -hmm. I have some ideas of why I think it is. Again, I don't have a Facebook account, but I, I still use this method though when I'm researching what's going on at a local business, depending on the size of the local business. So anyway, so does this match your experience? If you are looking up something about a, what's going on at my local restaurant, what's going on at the local food stand, do you use Facebook for those things? I do not, okay. but I think I'm really biased because of the examples you gave. I don't trust most other people's opinions. And I think that I'm an outlier in that. But I will say that out of the ones that are surveyed that are at the top, it makes sense that Facebook's the top in the fact of how people use it. I mean, it's more of a crowdsource conversation, whereas some of those other ones are more billboards for what I've done or I'm tweeting an idea or I'm showing something that I created that you should be jealous of on Pinterest, like your mm -hmm. newly finished table that everyone should witness. It's a <laughs> masterpiece of woodworking. It should not uh, be on Facebook. I didn't put it there. <laughs> right. I'm talking about Pinterest. <laughs> okay. Got to put Damn a you know, okay, nice yeah. filter on that photo. But anyways, getting back to it, Facebook makes the most sense for what type of data that they're trying to get at in this survey, in well, my mind. Well, so sorry, backing up just a second here. So not just limit limited to what other idiots on Facebook are saying, because I'll agree with you there. I don't care. But in this sort of goes to what my thought of, which is why that a lot of people do this, is that small local companies don't have their own websites. Their own right. websites are or Facebook, Facebook pages. Yeah. So that's what I would go look up. Right. Uh, or that's what I do go look up on or Facebook. Or what might be top of the search engine results as well. Right. Yeah, usually. I mean, yeah. so they don't have their own website where they can post their menu or whatever it is in sure. the case of a restaurant or some small, very specific types of stores that I like to go to. Their stuff is on their Facebook page. So that's where I'll go to Facebook. And I don't need, obviously, an account to check on creep on that store sort of stuff. <laughs> it's important to note this demographic is millennials, mm -hmm. where, and I would say that at least in my exposure to that demographic, there is a stronger trend to going after more smaller businesses just in general. You know, yeah. Not necessarily that we're the corporate fighters, maybe that the up and coming group is, but there is a more tendency to you know do the food truck culture or the smaller businesses. And because of that, and as you mentioned, Facebook was kind of the ad hoc website builder platform for a lot of these businesses. It makes sense that all these things are sort of converging on Facebook to become its kind of source of record for when we're trying to look for a small, local, medium-sized business. Another statistic from this uh, survey was more than half, 58% of the respondents visit a Facebook page of a local small business at least once a week. And I think that that fits in with my experience, again, yeah. of creeping on other people using Facebook. It seems like it's the easy way to stay connected to what are the local events going on right now okay. at my various parts of town I go to. It's the easy way to, to keep up to date with what's going on. It's weird that Facebook, and this sort of brings it back to my initial point with this, with bringing this up, was it's weird to see how sort of some social networks slash websites slash whatever apps included in that have turned into things I rely on, but that, that wasn't the initial intended you know, right. purpose of whatever mm -hmm. that social network is. Yeah, you the know, evolution so, of that channel. Right, exactly. Yeah. So Facebook, obviously, I think for millennials, 
you know, talked about closing your account. I think for millennials, it's not, we don't use it the way that Facebook was initially supposed to be used. We don't use it to stay connected to people anymore. We use it to figure out what's going on in our local community. Almost become our local blog RSS feed or mm-hmm. whatever of what's yeah. going on around. And, and I think that that's the strength that Facebook provides in that one, it's easier for businesses to update in their mind a Facebook page than necessarily a website, but mm-hmm. also Facebook is its own ecosystem. So instead of relying on people coming back to my website or URL or using my application, I'm reaching out to an ecosystem that they're already ingrained in and potentially using for a different purpose, but they hop on their timeline, they see that my new menu's posted or whatever it might be, and I can get in front of them instead of relying on them, you know, making the effort to come to me. So nothing too surprising there. And I think this is actually a good example of as marketers, when you hear studies like this, you need to take a step back and realize what's driving the numbers. Because it's very easy to look at something like this and say, oh shit, we've been spending so much in Twitter advertisements or something like that. We just need to dump everything in Facebook. Mm -hmm. This study is clearly showing that Facebook for small businesses is just killing it and understand the data that they were going after and what they actually might have paired back to craft this story out of their survey data. That doesn't necessarily mean that your marketing efforts need to be dominated in this channel. Maybe it's already super competitive there. So Twitter or Pinterest or whoever provides you actually an outlet to reach more people because there's less competition. So Again, be careful with these types of studies with big numbers and take a step back and think, does this actually make sense? Is this actually that surprising? And what am I actually going to do with this data and not freak out? Speaking of data. I love it. Data, data, however you want to say it. Bring us home with big data. What's going on? I wanted to talk a little bit about this weekend. and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds. But, but you will. I, I will, know you probably. will. But as an online marketer, I have all these wide range of things that are going to be sending me data. I might have a sweet email provider. I have my website, my analytics. I might have an advertising channels or multiple ones at that, a mobile application. All these things are sending data to me uh, and I need to be somewhat actionable on them. Or sometimes those things need to talk with one another. Mm -hmm. And as online marketers, I feel like we need to get smarter and pay more attention to all this data that's coming into us and somewhat either being okay with it being not super reliable against one another or setting aside parts of our budget to spend with data analysts or a team to help us bring together all those stats in some sort of unified way. One thing that we run into every once in a while clients is they use all these really neat services. Maybe they have ExactTarget or MailChimp for email And then they have a mobile application provider and then they have Google Analytics and all these things that they have never set up to talk with one another. But then they bring us in to want to do some testing or change up their website. And we find it hard oftentimes because they haven't thought through this ahead of time to create a good story about what is going on on your website. You know, you have all these different ports of contact and they're not integrated with one another. And so when your boss comes to you or you as just a business owner trying to understand what is my customer journey or what is my customer profile, we have all these bits and pieces where we're playing this Tetris game where we're trying to fit all these blocks together and hopefully it matches up and creates something that's somewhat legible. But I think as marketers, 
we sometimes need to be a little bit weary of continually going out and buying these small services and integrations that are very slick, but can oftentimes lead us to a more disjointed understanding of what our customers are actually doing. And you might actually find yourself picking a lesser provider just because it integrates better with your current data scheme and losing out on some features just to, again, get a better picture of understanding what your customers are actually doing. Because as a marketer, that's what you're trying to understand so you can optimize that. I want to market to you as best as possible, so I have to understand who you are and what you're doing. That disjointed angle you had there, I think that's a huge thing right now for internet marketing is, you know, again, you have all of these sources, but they're never going to match up properly. You can look at Google Analytics and look at visits to a particular page. That's never going to match up with what my HubSpot account is is going to say or mm-hmm. my exact target. Uh, click-throughs from emails never match up to, again, Adobe's, you know, looking at my email traffic. It doesn't, it, nothing ever matches up. And you have to sort of pick and choose which platforms you want to trust mm-hmm. and how you integrate those things. And realize that, which is, I think, hard for a lot of internet marketers because we have it in our minds that we can do anything and mm-hmm. we can track everything and it's we can be exact with everything, but we really can't, especially as, you know, as we continue to get more and more complex with everything we want to do, we'll lose out on more and more reliability on some of this data that we're trying to use in our marketing efforts. Right. If that kind of follows. It does. And I I mean, I think we're faced with some questions in that what is our comfort level and establishing Mm -hmm. set parameters and protocols that we're always going to follow and not pick the story that best suits our immediate needs, because that's going to get us in trouble later on. But also it kind of behooves us on sometimes the unsexy part of this job is spending time understanding coding, how things work on the internet or focusing on how does our data get compiled and warehoused and does that empower us to then become better marketers. And this isn't like a simple, easy five minute hack on how to easily solve this thing. This is more kind of just a challenge of have you spent time actually thinking through these problems because it's only going to get worse before it gets better for you. And I think you can really save yourself some heartache because you know, as you go down this path, like I mentioned, it's only going to get worse. So if you don't fix it or come up with some sort of scheme to tackle it, you could find yourself really in a stressful, uh, in a situation you really don't want to be in. So take some time this week. Think about how is my data coming in? Is it really that actionable? Or I would say something that a lot of other marketers don't think about is my data is coming in from all these sources and I spend an inordinate amount of time bringing all of this shit together in some sort Mm -hmm. of mosaic of trying to tell something about my visitors, your time has a cost as well. And if you don't address how your data is coming in, how your analytics are being reported, you're losing out on the ability to spend time doing other things, coming up with great campaigns that you can run other places or optimizing different parts of your business or just taking a break and not getting burnt out. And I think that the time savings one is often one that's not part of the equation, but you need to think through. So again, take some time this week, think about your data, maybe reach out to us if you have any questions. I mean, we've tackled some more complex build outs, I would say. So we do have some experience there, but maybe just share with us and we'll maybe share an experience on the podcast and maybe how we would tackle it as a learning example next week. Let's move (laughs) out of the weeds that is big data move into the pretty meadow that is headline crafting and how do you make your articles stand out or does it even matter anymore? Have we berated it too much where 
you know what? Maybe boring is better. I don't know. I'm going to give you a warning on this one. Okay. We're going to play a couple of games yes. that I hope you're going to lose terribly. Okay. Because that would pr- help prove my Should point. Should I not on be this looking one. at the article? Yeah, don't look at the okay. article. All right. Well, I'm closing it. All right. So this or one is from uh, Moz.com, a blog on there. It's also a fashion site on how to wear loud shirts when you do videos. Yes. And have <laughs> glorious beards, which we're already very familiar with. We already are there. <laughs> the headline of this blog post was, is that mind blowing title blowing your credibility? You decide. I see what they did there. Yeah, you see, you see. <laughs> this is something that we've mentioned on previous podcasts, I know. It sort of goes and ties in the same vein of, you know, I know we've talked about like open rates on emails, potentially measuring the wrong thing, where maybe we write a very sexy email headline that gets a lot of opens or subject line, sorry, that gets a lot of opens, doesn't actually get us a lot of conversions. And what is the psychology behind that? And are we potentially hurting ourselves in the long run by using those bait-tastic type headlines that everyone wants to click on and retweet and all of that sort of stuff? BuzzFeed model, if you will. Exactly. BuzzFeed, Wash. I mean, uh, you could almost say now a lot of the major newspapers do this. money, yeah. uh, Because they all optimize headlines for their articles now. So for those of you out there who may not even be familiar with this concept, so a lot of the major newspapers out there run split tests on the headlines on their articles themselves. So they'll write, you know, 10 to 20 different versions and see which ones gets more clicks, more reads, more shares or whatever the metric is they're trying to use and then actually run live with whatever it is, the headline that performed the best for them. So the point of all of this is, are we potentially hurting ourselves by using some of these? So I wanted to play a game with you really quick to see how good your bait-tastic headline discernibility is. That was a very weird way of putting it. But I'm going to give you five headlines here. And I want you to choose the one that you think would perform best in terms of clicks. The first one is a layman's explanation of the panda algorithm, the penguin algorithm, and hummingbird. That was number one. Okay. Number two, algo updates explained. What exactly panda, penguin, and hummingbird changed? That was number two. Number three, everything you need to know about panda, penguin, and hummingbird. Number four, three different SEO strategies for Google's Hummingbird, Panda, and Penguin. And number five, your Google algorithm cheat sheet, Panda, Penguin, and Hummingbird. Of those five, which do you think got the most clicks? What was a third to last? You're going to really confuse me. Third to last would be the same as third to first, right? Because there's five. I wasn't counting. (laughs) I've had a lot of scotch. (laughs) Everything you need to know about Panda, Penguin, and Hummingbird. I will take the cheat sheet for $500. Oh, damn it. Boom! You won that one. So the cheat sheet one was 35%. Isn't that what we're looking for in life? How to cheat Yeah, exactly. So that's sort of the point of this is, and they entered this with, yep, you guessed it. The cheat sheet one performed better than all the other ones. Yes. Even though a lot of those other ones were more to the point, which flies in the face of what we were talking about last week with the MailChimp stats. Mm -hmm. Now, what they were talking about was overall a more direct and to the point headline gives you better performance, Mm -hmm. right? But in terms of opens and clicks, these clickbaity things get you all the clicks. We're going to play one more game. This is subject line testing for emails that Moz sends out for their weekly email newsletter, which I recommend everyone to sign up for. I'm not getting any kickbacks right now from Moz, unfortunately. But head to Moz.com, sign up for their top 10 newsletter. They send you out what the latest and greatest is. 
you're already listening to the Bearded Marketers, so you already know what the latest and greatest is, but this helps fill you in with some of the SEO stuff that we don't talk about. Okay, so I'm going to give you, I'm just going to give you three on this one. Three headlines. You say which performs best. And these are all related to their Moz Top 10 email newsletter that they send out every week. So number one, is your direct search actually organic plus sponsored contents trust problem? That's number one. Number two, Moz Top 10. Number three, does Google read text and images and the end of author photos, Moz Top 10? Now, those were three. I want you to rank them in order. Oh, which received the highest clicks? Third, first, second, second, you son of a bitch. Last you in your face. <laughs> Maybe I made it too easy. Uh, I, we're trying to showcase that we actually know what we're doing here. So I don't, this result is actually good. Okay. <laughs> this is a case People study. People watch or listen to us for advice. This is a case study in how I did not ask the question properly <laughs> and gave way too much out. away. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a case in that. Or you're an amazing headline writer and you need to be writing more Potentially. ads. Potentially. You know, I, yeah, I won't even go into my methodology on why. I picked that, but uh, I will I'll, maybe next episode we'll give some of the juicy secrets away. Bringing this back to sort of clickbait and how does it affect trust besides all the games and everything that I won. I'm really curious to see what other marketers think. So if you're listening out there in podcast land, 904-270-9603 or hit us up at thebeardofmarketers.com. There's a contact link up there. I want to hear what you guys think about what are these clickbait article type things? How do they affect us in our marketing campaigns? Are we just looking for opens and clicks? How does this potentially hurt our brand impact Mm -hmm. ultimately or ultimately sales? What I think would be interesting, and I I feel like I haven't seen a good study on this, is, you know, in Mazda's case, they do sell a product, Mm -hmm. which they eventually want you to buy. But I haven't really seen a good study on, and much like we've talked about the problems with a lot of email studies is they're focused on clicks or open rates or whatever it might be, very micro conversions, not the big picture, the macro conversions. You know, and this is actually an interesting case where Moz is talking a lot about an engagement. And for a company, your goals might be different. It might be to engage people on content, but also what are some tips and tricks on engaging people, but keeping them around, not just clicking on them, but what are some tips on crafting a headline that's going to lead to the macro conversions. And so for some companies, they like BuzzFeed, they just want to get you in out page views, impressions for their ads, things like that. But for other people out there, they might be interested in how they can craft their content to getting people sticking around, absorbing more content. So Maybe we'll talk about some tips about that next episode and some of our ideas about that. Let us percolate about that over the week and give you some pointers on that. All right, moving on. All right, so this won't take too long, but I did want to, felt like some nostalgia came over me in that Yahoo Stores relaunched this week. And if you are new to the online space, Yahoo Stores used to be the what's what when it came to e-commerce stores. It used to be a platform where you could put your e-commerce store on And what a lot of people didn't really know is there was, I'll let you talk more to it, but there were some unspoken privileges using Yahoo stores and that you would get some SEO boosting. And it was kind of an unspoken, but a lot of people knew about it. I I don't know. Did you want to comment a little bit? I mean, you just spoke about it. Unspoken, (laughs) spoke about it. That was basically it. This was like way back in the day. You're paying this industry for way too long. Way back in the day. Yeah. You had a Yahoo store pay for like Yahoo, I don't know, basically inside their natural search, I can't remember what they called it, 
you could get rankings guaranteed for certain keywords. Mm-hmm. Pretty Cheating. scumbaggy mm-hmm. right. compared to today's standards, but certainly not for back then because sure. it was the standard. So, so anyways, they launched new, new, bolder, bigger, better Yahoo stores. What they're touting, which is almost hilarious at this point, is <laughs> it's SEO optimized where you get descriptions. Oh. Hold on. Hold on to your duckies. You get descriptions in your URLs and SEO optimized description and title tags. For whose search engine? Yahoo is run by Bing, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> and they still don't get that many people. So. <laughs> but anyways, it's worth noting. Maybe you want to test it out. I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, by this point, there's much better, more fleshed out e-commerce solutions out there. If you get a lot of traffic through Yahoo and Bing, maybe it's worth testing mm-hmm. out because maybe there's still that unspoken... SEO bonus that you might get. Uh, but again, with people like Big Commerce, Magento, I mean, there's tons of great Volusion, tons of great providers out there that are a little bit more forward in appearance, uh, but also feature sets than Yahoo is. Another one, and this really is kind of bringing online to offline. If you weren't aware, Amazon came out with Amazon Register, which is their competitor to Square. So you're going to be starting to take offline transactions through their kiosks that they're and they're undercutting transaction rates like a mother and you yeah. face it to everybody. I think Squares was 2.75. Amazon's just took a full percentage point off, 1.75. <sighs> Man. Side note, I'm beginning to get a little worried about everything that Amazon is getting into. I need to focus yes. on getting those prime boxes delivered to my door on time. That and the drones, please. Hate shout out to LaserShip. Amazon drop them like it's hot right now. <laughs> Cannot deliver anything on time. Anyway, moving on. Last thing I wanted to cover, Google Corner. What's happening in Mountain View? This, again, will be pretty speedy. But last week, there was actually an unannounced algorithm update. We'll tweet out a link to it with some data on it. It's actually, a lot of people are saying, one of the bigger updates. And Google has not really come out and said a full release on it yet. Uh, But there are quite a few sources that are showing that SEO got jostled up quite a bit and the Google index. So if you're noticing some funky behavior with your organic traffic, it might be because of this unspoken algorithm that went out. Again, we'll tweet out a link and you can check it out. Also, if you work in AdWords, you should know this, but exact match is actually getting a slight tweak as of late. And that exact match will also be forced into close variations as well. So if you pull a keyword report and you're observing that some of the keywords for your exact match are not actually what those exact matches are in AdWords, that's because all of them are getting swapped over to close variations. So be mindful of that. Also, PLA campaigns, if you run e-commerce as a product listing ads, those are going away. And now we're rolling with the new Google shopping campaigns. Honestly, if you're in the PLA space, you shouldn't be using those anymore anyway, because the new ones are way better, a lot higher conversions and a lot more options. So just be prepared for that switch over. We'll actually tweet out a link to a, a site to help you convert all yours over. But again, the new Google shopping campaigns much better anyways. And this is actually one of the, I would say most AdWords updates are painful for people and they a lot of bitch and moaning. And this is, I think, one of the first in a long time where people were like, oh, this is good. I like this. The last one I wanted to cover, which to me is a little bit um, annoying, I guess is a better word, and that there was some conversations by the Google folks where they updated their webmaster guidelines. Update calls low-quality guest blog spam. So they updated some of their documentation and webmaster tools as things that are considered spam. This has caused a lot of panic in the industry in that, well, I have guest blogging. Does that mean that I'm going to get a site penalty or whatnot? 
And what's quite annoying to me, and this happens quite a bit, you know, I understand that Google has to tread on light territory to not get taken advantage of or mm-hmm. people finding ways around the system, but they mention low quality guest blog posts, but they don't talk about what low quality means. means, Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are left in the dark. I think before people start panicking and yanking content, let's see what happens after this. And maybe we'll see a Matt Cutts video where he clarifies what this means, even though I think he's on break right now, a sabbatical from Google, but maybe they're going to clarify. But do know that there is some new webmaster guidelines out there that talk about guest posts can be considered spam content so you again you got to be paying attention to webmaster tools and see if you have any reports like that from google that you need to fix up so that's going to do it for us this week again enjoyed our time so much Mm -hmm. this week first of all i get a shout out we got a review last week so someone is listening to my instructions if you did enjoy yourself first share with a friend a colleague a family member a lover rob would say a lover as well also, if you enjoyed yourself, we'd love to get a review. It helps us better understand how we need to shape the show to give you the best information possible. Time is valuable. We don't like wasting it. So let us know how we're doing on any of the channels that you found us on. If you'd like to be on the show or have an idea, maybe you listen every week and go, those beard guys, they're pretty smart, but they didn't think about this. Well, why don't you tell us? You can either visit us at thebeardmarkers.com slash contact and leave us a line, or you can give us a call, as Rob mentioned, at 904-270-9603. We also take text there, so if you're socially adverse, you can leave us a text there, and we'll probably respond actually faster than a call. Thanks again so much for your time. This is Rob and Corey signing off, and we'll see you next week. Gia. Gia.